Hi there, and welcome to another episode of African Business Stories, your insight into female innovators and entrepreneurs building and running businesses in Africa. I'm Akego Koye, and on the show today, I'll be chatting with Aisha Ayensu, founder and CEO, Christy Brown. Christy Brown is a high fashion brand based in Accra, Ghana. Aisha started her business while at university, and we talk about how being young and naive worked in her favor. We also talk about the early wins that spurred her on, the need to master one's craft, and taking her brand global. Throughout the conversation, I noted the power of having a clear vision. Let's get into it. Hi, Aisha. Welcome to African Business Stories. Hi. Hi, Akego. Really happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for giving us your time. So you're from Ghana. Yes. My sister, a sister country. Um, Yeah, I mean, I've always admired Ghana. They've taken so much time and effort to preserve their history. I remember coming to Ghana and going to the Kwame Nkrumah Mausoleum. mausoleum. So those kinds of things, those kinds of things I appreciate. One thing that I've always wondered about Mm -hmm. is about the cultures and the tribes, actually. I should say I've wondered about the tribes in Ghana. Like in Nigeria, they always talk about the three main tribes. And I think it's a disservice to the the hundreds of other tribes. So I wonder what it's like in in Ghana. Do you have these main tribe type of thing or what? It is main tribe. So, um... You do, I think it's pretty much the same because we do also have the, the main drivers. You see, like, there are probably three main ones or four main ones that are always spoken and talked about. Mm-hmm. And there are little rivalries here and there and little jokes that go around. But yes, you'd always have, like, smaller tribes um, that aren't as, you know, they are more in the minority, I guess. But it's, it's really the main ones. It's your Ga, your Ashanti, your Ewe. Right. <laughs> or what was the last one Hausa. from the north you know you'd have the Hausa speaking tribes but they, they do have like Dagombas the Gassi, they, they, there's so many to be honest but the main ones are probably Ewe, Tree or Ashanti okay thanks for that um, you, you talk a lot about your grandmother and we'll, we'll come to talk about her a little later yeah. but, but I wondered if you could just talk to us a bit about your parents and and what it was like growing up in in Accra in Ghana. in Ghana so I come from a very small family when I say small family we're it's just myself and my brother we're just two kids and then my parents okay. and so we're very close um you know we're super close very tight-knit close-knit family and I always actually talk about my upbringing because I find that it's, I grew up in a not so conventional Ghanaian home. So, mm. so my name is Aisha, but I'm not Muslim. I'm not Northern. I'm, you know, my parents just like the name because apparently they were in Northern Nigeria. They're in Sokoto at the point. Okay. And Ghanaians were going to Nigeria to work. And so I think my dad was teaching or lecturing somewhere in, in Sokoto and made friends or something. They said, oh, if we, if we have a girl, we'll name her Aisha. And truly, that happened. Mm. So it's they are, they are open like that. And I grew up in a home where we had 
in the study you would, there was a bible there was a quran and then you know some some you know buddhist journal or something of the sort meditation and it was really that like if, if you ever chose to to your own path it was okay to do that you you felt you right. didn't get a sense of oh well in this house we do things a certain way even though i grew up in a christian home and then my parents in themselves it's just their dynamic right and and how they relate to each other i always say that i didn't we never had roles like for the man and for the woman so it was my brother and i but there was never okay well Nanado, my brother's name is Nanado, so it was not that right. he can do this, but you can't because you're a girl, or you know, they just never had that gender disparity in the home. And then I saw it in their relationship, like between my parents, hmm. that they had like the most interesting debate <laughs> on anything, politics, or you know, um, current affairs, and just just very rich, healthy conversations. And so that so we grew up around that right we grew up knowing about um revolutions in different countries and so you know uh, um thomas sankara is probably one of my favorites because i heard, I heard about it from my parents or you're driving to school and my dad is playing fella so that's right and this is we were really young well in the same vein too there was we knew but the words to bob dylan songs so and my mom would tell us stories of when we were younger and my dad would put us on his on his belly and be playing his Bob Marley and so on. So it's it's that that's the kind of home that we I grew up in. Very liberal, very open. Um we were allowed to make our own mistakes. So we right. started going out quite early and clubbing. <laughs> so now I think about it, I'm like, I'll probably never let my, my kids go out that early. Maybe not, but I don't I but they they just really allowed us to, you know just for my own experiences and it was very open you could talk to your parents about anything really you never felt like you know there was anything out of bounds that's, that's lovely i hope that a lot of women get that experience or even mm. how to raise our daughters and so on give them that sense of there's no gender um disparity or there's no there are no limits to what you can do even as a girl whether as a girl or a boy it instills a sense of confidence in Hmm. in the, in a woman right so then when you go out into the world as well you're not going there already feeling intimidated already feeling like um i don't belong here or there's hmm. things that you know i can't sit at certain tables of leadership just because of my gender you know i think it's thanks for sharing that so so i know that you went to university in in ghana legon university oh, yeah. of legon what did you yeah. study I, I studied psychology what did you aspire to be I'd always liked fashion and, but then I don't know, some, at some point, probably in my teenage years, I I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Um, and then in, you know, when, when it was time to to, like start uni, I wanted to go to school abroad, like to the U S and at that time I I, had gone back to my love for fashion or, and, and, you know, all things fashion. I wanted to go to fashion school and it was pretty expensive. You know, I just thought it was, it would be too much on my parents. I thought, so I settled on Legon, not not because, mm. I, you know, maybe I didn't think much of it. I just thought that, okay, let me get an undergrad. And in choosing my subjects, it was philosophy, <laughs> psychology, and I think geography or something. But, you know, I, I really didn't put much thought to it. But maybe in the back of my mind, my next resource was the law. Um, so yes, in, in choosing a major, I said I enjoyed psychology mm. a lot. It, it came naturally to me. 
And so that's what I majored in, wrote my thesis on. But in my final year is when I realized that, you know what, I'm not going to work in this field, one. Because one of my professors had called me and he said, oh, you're the kind of students that, you know, would like to sponsor to do um, MPhil. And this is like a master's and then mm. a, 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 a PhD in, in psychology. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, sir. Plans because at this point I really felt that I wanted to ch- follow my passion, which was fashion. Okay, so I know it's quite early in the game. It's I, I wonder what made me feel like I could really go ahead and start a whole fashion brand. That's my next question. So, so, so you finish university and instead of going to look for a job as most people would do, you decide that you want to start a business. Yes. And to be honest, this was, so in my final year, even whilst I was, I, I launched Christy Brown in March of 2008 and I graduated after that. So hmm. I was still in university when the brand launched. Oh, wow. But the thing is, one of, one of the, I, the sentiments I remember so clearly is in that period, I don't know if you remember, but this is Africa rising movement and you know, everybody was talking about. Yes. There was that first wave, and now I don't know if you've noticed there's a second wave that we're going through. But yes, yes. it was that. And oh man, it just it just awakened that that love for Africa in me. I've always been that person who felt, well, we can take matters into our own hands. Why, you know, why don't we carve out hmm. the African way of doing things and do it doing it so well? So anyway. Right. It was my, so I, I just always wanted to be a part of that movement some way. And for me at the time, I felt that fashion, right? And I just felt, well, the modern African woman, whatever is being portrayed in the world, that's not our reality. Hmm. Uh, my friends and I will go and have brunch or breakfast at Golden Seal, but at the time it was a hotel in Macau, we'll go and have drinks somewhere. We, we, weren't, <laughs> we weren't restricted. We weren't hungry malnourished the fly settling on our on our lips it, it wasn't that image right so i just thought well maybe we need to create i need to create a brand for that woman right a woman who has that sense of pride in the continent but also has this fabulous cosmopolitan life and well traveled enough that she wants to carry a piece of her africa wherever she goes and it still works in her wardrobe and her lifestyle so that's how Christy Brown came about, to be honest. I, I love it. I love it. So talk to us about the name. Tell us about the name Christy Brown. The name Christy Brown is my grandmother's name. And she was a seamstress all her, right. all her life, really. And never had like a huge fashion brand or anything like that. She was a seamstress from home. And in so and we probably we lived with her or in the same house when I was about eight. And I'd remember like even threading her machine for her. Or, you know, we just grew up around that, right? And I have a feeling, not I have a feeling, I'm sure. That right. that's, I'm sure that's where my my passion for fashion comes from, or probably my eye. So then she, you know, everybody would say that's okay, that's probably my biggest inspiration. My my biggest inspiration actually is that that um we retelling the African story. Let's right. to be very honest. But my grandmother, I wanted to honor. First of all, she has a fantastic name, if you ask me, because I thought it was quite catchy. <laughs> and it could live anywhere. It's of such sentimental value to me. It's a way to carry, it was a way for me to carry on her legacies. Because at the time I was launching the brand, she had passed away. And I was thinking that, you know what? This woman's name is going to be plastered all over 
billboards in like Times Square and so on. You just watch me kind of thing. It's, it's how I was thinking at the time. So yes, it's, it's that wanting to see Jima's legacy upheld. Yes. And whatever she couldn't achieve, we'll do it for her. We'll do it through the brand. That's, that's awesome. That's, I, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's a, a little emotional for me, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's so beautiful. Um, so now coming, coming down practically to, to yeah. starting this business. So you, you, you start the business in your final year, you have this whole desire to retell the African story through fashion. I love that. But then you don't know how to sew. Oh. And you, but, but you have this, but you have this dream and this passion. So, yeah. so how do you practically start a fashion brand? How did you do it? How were the first few years? I'm, I'm happy I was so naive and young, and because I didn't see the impossibilities, I didn't see the threats. I just, I, I just saw like just the dream, and I just saw how 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 um achievable it was right so i went ahead and planned a lot <laughs> a whole wow fashion show with my friends modeling um uh, someone sponsoring makeup uh, an auntie giving drinks you know borrowed like a runway from another aunt who does the core but okay but aisha you have to find money to transport it from ibri to Accra. i said don't worry auntie you know but it was it was really that that kind of bootstrapping level to be honest but what I, I would say, like on hindsight, is I knew the woman I wanted to, to create this brand for or design for. And I knew it wasn't, it wasn't my friends. It was, it was not, when I say it wasn't my friends, it wasn't my classmates in Lagos. Right. It was really a certain woman, you know, she had achieved a certain, um, uh, you know, status in life. Not status per se, but she's working, she has disposable income, she's very well traveled. It wasn't a young college student. Mm. So there's a certain air of a certain level of sophistication or maturity I wanted the brand to carry. It wasn't for us. It wasn't booty shorts and so on. So it was quite clear in my head. So then inviting people to the launch of Christy Brown, the fashion brand, it was I think my friends worked the show, but the guests were really women that I, you know, women that I saw around. Some people were my parents' friends or you know, people maybe I'd run into, I admired, hoping they would honor the invitation. But that launch taught me that it was just the right place, right mm. time. It was, it was, the brand was needed at that time. Before, before Christy Brown, don't get me wrong, there were, there were fantastic fashion designers. There were fantastic fashion designers in Accra, Kofi Ansar, Joyce Abbeville, but they had their fashion houses all right. But there wasn't a fashion brand that you could go to, um, pick up the rack, clear aesthetic, that kind of um, setup, right, at the time. So, and also just the aesthetic of it, I keep going back to it because it was modern clothes. It was modern, very practical pieces. Mm. But at the time, I I used just African prints because... I, I love wax prints. My grandmother is, is gone, so she's from Ooh. the South. And that's what I thought she and her friends wear. So people would ask me, why don't you use Kente? And so I said, because it, it honestly wasn't, it's, it wasn't a part of my, um, I mean, you know, my design philosophy at the time. It's the wax print that I linked to our heritage. Right. You know, now you have all these arguments, but let's not get it wrong. 
that whole even how Africans view color and print and so on, it's influenced that. So we've embraced it and owned it and it's ours. Right. So no, we shouldn't feel as though oh somebody's taking advantage of us. Personally, that's my personal opinion. But anyway. So um yeah, so it was using wax prints, but just really interesting cuts, very modern, very practical. Right. So it wasn't your carbine slits. So carbine slits is like our version of your Mbuba. You know, you wanted pieces you can wear like jackets, cool like cocktail dresses that you can wear to all the kind of events that we were going <laughs> to at the time. And it was such a hit, honestly. It was such a hit. And God really had a purpose for Christy Brown. So there were several key people at the show who then spread the word. Spread the gospel of Christy Brown and mentioned to, you know, somebody mentioned to a friend in Essie that, oh, you know, you should check out this cool brand from Ghana. Then they contacted us to do an, I say us, but at the time it was just me, contacted me to do an interview for Studio 53. I think it was a show on DST. Hmm. So they even came and filmed in my dorm room in Ligon. <laughs> I know. I, I wonder if it ever aired. I don't, I don't quite remember. But so there was that. And then after that, there was the first ever Africa Fashion Week that was being organized by Arise. And of course, it was, it was the first of its kind. So like 21 designers or so from like, you know, all different, no, no, about 50 designers from 21 African countries. So imagine that. They're, then they're looking for brands from all the different African countries, right? And Christy Brown popped out. And we got invited to the show. So it's, you see how divine, the, like, the divine connections that, you know, occurred for Christy Brown to get to where it was. I, I think it, mm. it was really meant so, to So in terms of the, the clothes, yeah. how, how were you making your clothes at the time? So that's another thing. So like we mentioned earlier, I, I didn't even know how to stitch. I, well, I could sew a button, but I didn't know how to use a machine. I couldn't sew, I couldn't cut. But I had tailors all over Accra. So I'm already a small person, but I can imagine that I was so sick then at the time because I was running from one tailor to another across town. Because, of course, I'm, I'm a creative. I'm not so much of a planner, right? So there's one in the opposite side of town, another here, and there are orders coming in because it was purely bespoke when, when I started. Right. The orders coming in, and I was at the mercy of these tailors, to be honest. They knew I didn't know how to to construct the garment. So they'll do anything that they felt was right or the disappointments. Oh, pick it up at this time and it's not ready. Or the design I explained to you explicitly had come out all botched or the seams weren't right. But I could spot a good finish or a good mm. cut when I saw it. It's just that I didn't know how to, to achieve it. So they'll just tell me, oh, no, that's how it is. <laughs> oh, dear. Disappointed. Yeah, it was honestly hellish but then i decided to enroll in a fashion school locally okay to learn how to like draft patterns and stitch because i really do believe in us at least knowing the fundamentals of our craft right and you know how a, a garment is basically constructed there's just so much you can do creatively and, and generate your own like styles from, from yes so I, I really needed to understand that. So you, you started off the way most businesses, most fashion businesses in Africa start, taking fabric, making this bespoke. Um, but mm -hmm. of course, today, you know, Christy Brown is a retail brand. So how did you start to make that shift, you know, towards um, retail? So, I, so first of all, I, you know, in the beginning, like we mentioned earlier, I didn't have my own tailors. And then... 
I acquired one machine, you know, then I started getting my own team just after um, Joyce W, the school I, I, I enrolled at. So now with with the team present, I realized that, you know, there are certain periods where you're in between bespoke orders. There's, you, you just don't want these guys to be sitting mm. idle. So I'd make certain pieces. And I was working out of my parents' study. I converted, I put a rack there, put a mirror there. So that's why I was doing my bespoke consultation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, I put a rack up and then hang, hanged a few pieces, a few jackets here and there, certain, certain pieces that had worked on a client, you know, I designed earlier, I liked it. I thought, okay, let's, let's just produce them. And so people would come in for their bespoke fittings or appointments and see them. And, you know, it flew off the, the rack. Bear in mind, it was just a small rack. However, in, in, in building Christy Brown or the vision, I always knew that it was going to be a luxury fashion brand from the continent. Mm. And it wasn't, it, it wasn't going to stay bespoke for, for long. So it's just, it was a, a means to an end. And you had to start off somewhere because I didn't have that much capital to start the business anyway. Mm. So I just supposed to keep it running. But ultimately, it was to, to build this retail brand, right? Or, or ready-to-wear brand. I'd always known that that's where the business um, was going but in about 2010 or so maybe 2011 my good friend Vanessa okay. Vanessa Banaman so she's my business partner now in Christy Brown but so Vanessa worked in Montreal as a buyer okay and so, you know would speak on the phone all the time and you know I'll share my <laughs> my horror stories and so on but at that point, so she, at the time, she would, you know, help with sending certain emails that I was dropping. A lot was, I was dropping the ball on a lot of things. Certain requests that would come in or certain requests. I wouldn't even understand what a, a line sheet was. <laughs> and um, so she, would, she, you know, she was helping us in that regard. And that's how we started working together okay. because she would, you know, create line sheets or just handle the back end of Christy Brown for me to, 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 as much, to, to the best of her ability right. because she also had a full-time job. So if it had to do with um, even having someone to bounce ideas right. off, it really helped having Vanessa up until she moved to Ghana and we properly formalized our um, working relationship. So now she works as the head of merchandising and operations okay. for the brand. But um, even that move alone changed the trajectory of, of Christy Brown, because I am a creative. <laughs> I do have, um, I do have my strengths, but honestly, just that marriage of um, the creatives versus and the the numbers behind fashion, right. I think one of our successes in the brand. Another, I'm trying to think of just the different moments that occurred to help you know pivot christy brown and move it to this level but it, it's interesting how at certain times you realize that people come into your life or different things happen in your life that just move you to the next hmm. level and i feel like that has always happened with christy brown okay that's interesting so i i, I want to talk about growing and scaling the business right so of course you started off in your dorm room then you moved to your parents house you know, yes. but at some point you have to get a space of your own. You have to buy equipment. So, so how did you actually fund the the growth? You know, and looking back, how did you fund the business? 
Okay, so first round would be that lunch that I did hmm. at Accra Polo Club and invited certain key people. We had an auction. I had an auction of certain pieces. Okay. So that's that money from the auction probably not probably actually afforded us the first maybe two or two machines or three. Okay. Okay. So that was the first time any money had been pumped into Christy Brown. It was through the auction at the at the launch. Now, the second time we, you know, there was a fundraise, I want to say that, quote unquote, is when, when Ready to Wear was picking up hmm. for my parents' study, it was obvious that, you know what, you need to get a store. Now, to get that shop in Ghana, you have to pay like uh, um, your rent in advance, like a whole year yeah. in advance. Where am I going to get that from? <laughs> is what I was thinking. Um, so a whole year in advance and just doing up the store, you know, personnel now stock because you're going to have to upfront um, so much in terms of inventory to make the pieces to be hanging in the shop. So it's a, it was a whole different ball game. Um, fortunately for me, a good friend of mine who was doubling as a uh, the lawyer for Christy Brown hmm. had a client who had who wanted to invest their monies into. You know, just anything, just to reap some sort of um, returns, quick interest type of situation. Mm. And he had said, okay, well, are you interested? I said, yes. To be honest, I'm even embarrassed to mention the interest rates on that loan. So we took a 20000 It was a $20,000 $20, loan with a huge interest. I wouldn't even say it's oh, 20. Dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And for me, I, was, I, I guess I was so optimistic. I didn't think of, hey, but what if you can't pay it back or anything? But I was so sure that I had a viable business and this thing will convert. No worries. Let's take it. We have one year to pay. Okay, no problem. Um, and truly, so, so with that, we're able to get the shop, do a tap, put some stock in there. And we were able to pay back that loan plus the, the interest in less than a year, wow. to be honest. And um, so that was, you know, you always need that. Wow. You always need that thing that shows you that, no, it's possible. No, your dreams are valid. Just keep going, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, yeah, so, so that, was, that was a good move for us at the time. Um, paid back, and then now, you know, we could really um, see the profits coming in. And then we, but, but everything that came in plowed right back into the business right back into the business to grow to the next level. And then we started outgrowing the first shop. Hmm. But I, so then now it's time to move to a bigger space. But we still stayed in a certain locale because it's, you know, it's central. It's what our clients are used to. It's how the brand is positioned and so on. But at that point, we could actually afford to acquire the store through the, the company spans. Excellent. So basically, that was run organically to date. But we're running out of time. Wow. <laughs> we're running out of time. So that's why, you know, and, and with the growth of the, the brand, you know, that's why now we're actually on the market for like investment to just scale the business up. Up to the next level. That's fantastic. So yeah, we've run organically today. That, to that's, that's a very inspiring story. You know, it shows that it's possible. It's possible, it's possible. to grow organically. So I know you were part of the International Visitors Program funded by the State Department. So, so if you can tell us a bit about that and what that did for, for you and your business. So, so I got the invitation to 
to be a part of the IVLP program. Like I was chosen as a candidate for it. And what, what this program is that was it's International Visitors Leadership Program. And it gathered young business leaders from different African countries. To, and it was almost like an incubator period. For a month, we went to the U.S. and moved from state to state. So each state had a different module, sort of. So you did marketing in one, okay. you did finance in another, um, people. And, you know, it was like a business. It was like a crash course in business <laughs> school. And this happened, I think I went on, on the IVLP program in 2012. So, so remember that... Um, we had been, the brand was launched in 2008, mm-hmm. bootstrapping, working from home, doing um, bespoke up until about maybe 2010, 2011. So just in 2012, it was the right time for me to go on this program because it started, it helped me to see Christy Brown as a business, right? less of a passion project. Because these modules that we went through and setting goals and just understanding what it, what what the, the the mechanisms of a good and sound business right. is and how to look. And I always remember that how to look, so how to um, not work in the business, but work on the business, you know, so mm-hmm. you're able to look, yes, you're able to look at your business objectively and see where the loopholes are and planning and forecasting it was fantastic. Because at this point, I realized that, okay, been joking a bit not joking but it's, it's it was too much of a passion project and you know i'm just passionate about what i do even in in pricing and just certain decisions that i may have been taking at the time right. weren't as calculated as they should be then another program that i signed on to just when i came back from the IDLP program it's called i there's a coaching a women's coaching um I want to say service, but you wouldn't call it a service. But it's, it's a women's coaching academy of sorts. Mm-hmm. It's called Alden and it's run by this amazing woman called Ruka Sanusi. So Ruka had years of experience from PwC, okay, and and she had started this coaching service for women-owned businesses, especially like small to medium scale. And because she realized that there's a way that women run our businesses, and but she she needed to help us put structure to things and be intentional about our growth and just this the, and, and strategically place our, our, our businesses for you know hmm. for scaling and, and just success globally right. it was the perfect intervention wow because I had coaching sessions with Ruka probably once a week for for months oh if not over a year to be honest because I was I was afraid to take of the training wheels. <laughs> And we went through everything. She combed through the entire brand, the company, just who, who we are, what we stand for, why we do things a certain way. What, just looking at the business also critically and also planning and um, setting like our goals and targets for the next three years, next five years. Had I couldn't have gotten this in any any business school with, wow. you know, without paying an arm and a leg. So it was the right the right time for Christy Brown to go through that transformation. What's the name of the coaching academy again? Alden's Lane. Alden's Lane. A-L-L-D-E-N-S Lane. Um, yeah, so so Alden's Lane was, you know, fantastic for Christy Brown. That was a major turning point um, in just the outlook. Just even how, how I always envisioned Christy Brown. And then even with Vanessa and I's working relationship, 
and as much as so before that it was it was still pretty casual you know but just putting structure to things having processes documenting processes and mm. um, hr manuals how how you're hiring who you're hiring oh no it was everything we we really turned things around internally and in our back end that's fantastic that's fantastic every, every young business would at least but you know what? Sometimes everybody talks about is is the funds and so on. Mm. But at the time, I think Ruka also saw the potential of Christy Brown, and she was a client. She loved our pieces, right? As well. so, she, so it was benevolent of her in that in that regard because we weren't in the position to be able to afford like coaching fees for so long. But she really wanted to, you know, she wanted to see Christy Brown succeed, mm. and she knew that we needed to just tweak a few things. Yeah. Because I never worked in a formal institution, bear in mind. Mm. I started the brand straight in uni. Exactly. And so out of this, is, this has always been my job. So everything I've learned about running a business or understanding what it takes to navigate this space in Africa, it's, I learned on the job. And through, you know, these programs that I was fortunate enough to be a part of. That's a great testament. Anchor. It's a great testament so it, to what, what's possible. So let's talk about taking the brand international. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Of course, it's what you've always wanted to do, yeah. but but how did you go about it? And and in that process, mm-hmm. can we also maybe talk about the the impact of or not mm-hmm. of having celebrities wear wear your yeah, your clothes? Yeah. So how does that play into the story? From the get go, there wasn't a clear strategy as right. to how do we take Christy Brown international. I just always believe that let's do a good job. Let me just, let me put my foot in it and the right people will notice it. And I've been naive because later I, I got to realize that no, you actually, there are ways to do PR and so on. But so the brand has always kind of, we've, we've always done things organically, especially in the early days where you don't have the funds to even hire a marketing expert to come and look at um, which regions you should be going into this, how we approach this and that or the other. It was really that. It was really focusing on, on making the product great mm. and really staying true to the essence of the brand. It's modern Africa. It's, it's you know, showcasing our heritage in the best light. It's keeping our heritage alive by making it cool and relevant for today. And truly, we were just fortunate enough to have the right people spot the brand. Right. It's having the right people support the brand. But it's also, I guess, one lesson I learned is whatever you're doing, it's important to let people know that you're doing that, you know? So imagine this is a time where there was no Instagram. Now it's easier. But imagine, Mm. if I stay maybe in my little corner, I said, okay, let me just be sewing for my friends every now and then and see and slowly grow the, the brand we probably wouldn't have gotten the kind of visibility we got. That launch that we did now puts, it put it out there that there's Christy Brown. Now, because it's out there and media wants, they want content, people want, want news. And you may have the local newspaper, the mirror pick, you know, the, because the images too are nice. It was interesting pieces, right? So they also want those images in their papers. So, okay, can we use your, your images? Or we got a feature in Canoe magazine at the time. And Canoe was featuring everything Afropolitan right. and African luxury. So it tied in with what we, what we stood for. He gave us a spread in his magazine. Wow. At no charge. 
in quiet i would always remember like i'll never forget that because in you know you, can you imagine how many hands those, those magazines went to it, it passed through or the homes that it was in and people realized that oh this is interesting what is it christy brown and then you go check it out and it's on facebook so at the time facebook was also quite quite new but i'm also grateful for i always do that <laughs> brings people your way to to push you in the right direction. So Rodney Kwaku is like, no, you have to have a Facebook account. I said, oh, what is all this? Yeah, I don't, I'm not even good with technology. But he forced me, he actually opened a Christy Brown Facebook account and we kept uploading our pictures on there. I'm sure if I go all the way back, I'll, be, I'll probably cringe at some of the stuff that's on our page. <laughs> but it's just putting it out there and letting people know what you do. You know, and sometimes women do that. We like to just hide and say, no, it's just something small. It's just my side hustle. No, it's not your side hustle. You have big dreams for this thing. Just go ahead, put it out there. I know we'll be a little nervous. that, And I got trashed a lot. I mean, like some, there was one time I read a certain critic back in the day. And till to, to today, it stuck with me. So I think every time I look at a collection, I'm like, okay, let's make sure it's not looking too craft-like. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was the 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 caption or you know the person's comment i said okay i'll show you guys but in terms of the whole celebrities wearing your brand because you know there's there's a school of thought that you know get it in the hands of a celebrity and it will your brand will explode i guess it does happen for some people and and maybe it doesn't and maybe facebook or instagram likes don't always translate to money in the bank but you've had yeah. quite a few celebrities wear your brand, you yes. know, um, from the Carter tour, the dancers at the Carter I tour. Did. did you have Alicia Keys wear one of Alicia your pieces? Yeah, exactly. In the early days, Alicia Keys, there was one time like Kelly Rowland on some show in England and things would pop up here and that I didn't even know. It, it wasn't, oh, wow. again, it wasn't as intentional. So say the Alicia Keys bit, it was because... You see, we were stocking on, at the time, one of the first multi-brand um, online stores for African fashion, um, My Asho. It was owned by a Nigerian girl. Honestly, she, she had so much vision and foresight at the time. I wish, I'm not sure what happened to this. Side. We have to check it out. But yes, she, so we were stocking on there. And I guess they had pulled for, so, for some PR gigs. And that's how it landed on, on their laps. Now, here's the thing. It's fantastic to have celebrities wear your pieces hmm. or you know be spotted in them photographed in them but the 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 one way to cash in on that is when you actually have the stock to back it hmm. or they're wearing something that's relevant so it's something that's about to be launched on your runway and you have enough stock of it that when when the person wears it and then everybody wants to to get that piece they go to your website they're able to click and buy it right as a young brand at the time some of these pieces were just made maybe a few off and it was done and then the celebrity is wearing it yes it's nice and people see it but at the time even um brands people magazines didn't even know how to reach african brands they didn't have we didn't have as much reach so they'll probably see it and it's lovely but it wasn't as easy as okay here's the the website just go there click on it you're buying hmm so then there's a lot of money left on the on the table. So there's an art to this. Right. And there's also the relevance. So you could be dressing a celebrity that is not known for her fashion. Like people don't look at this celebrity for her fashion sense. 
it might be because of her words of wisdom or something else, right? Or even her makeup. Hmm. It might be that. So when people are looking at that celebrity, they may be wearing your piece, but it might not convert because that's not the space they influence. Right. So there's an art to it. There's a science to it. And those who get it right actually cash, <laughs> cash in on, on these opportunities. But for us, we a lot of the times then we weren't quite ready. It was just great to have these accolades. I won't lie, for brand positioning was fantastic because it set us apart in this like region right. that okay Chrissy Brown is you know international but monetarily it wasn't necessarily translating but we, but that's because we weren't ready hmm. at the time now you get <laughs> on the other hand if if when we have people pulling for one thing or, or the other we always make sure it's something that's relevant we have it online to sell or you know, it's always something that's now coming out. So then we know that once this person wears this and there's like a bit of hoo-ha around it, they can go to our website and buy it on e-commerce. Or even if they don't get the same piece, we actually have things on e-commerce they can buy. Hmm. Interesting. You know, so Interesting. So 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 you make all your, your pieces in, in Ghana. In Ghana. How important is that to to, to your brand? It was in the beginning when I was, I like to say my fantasy stages, it was all, it was everything. I said, no, I would never, ever produce anywhere else. And, but it's really important to me to provide like economic empowerment for, for people on the continent. I always say for my people. So whatever Christy Brown does, some, in some way, it has to impact her life on the continent. And for me, it has to be quite literal, putting food on their table. But as, as we've grown bigger, it might, it, so it, it might get to a point, not that it might, it's gone to a point where we actually need to produce more volume. So even in looking for um, production units to offset some of our, our, you know, our production um, needs, first we look Africa. It's where on the continent can we produce? What, what factories can take the kind of volumes we want? Let's figure that out. First Ghana. Mm. And then we put out, you know, regionally. And then on the continent, where can we produce? When we exhaust all of that, we'll probably consider, it, it, it really depends. Certain items or certain goods may have to be produced in another region. But predominantly, mm. we have to provide employment on the continent. Um, you know, because our scaling um, conversations now, it really has a lot to do with that. Hmm. Manufacturing. Where are we manufacturing? Because we are a fashion brand, right? We are not necessarily a, a clothing manufacturer. When it gets to a certain unit level, we may have to outsource them. But it's those conversations of, okay, so outsource it, but do we want to also set up our own manufacturing? What does that mean on our, like just our system and our structure? How do we work that out? And we are, we are honestly keeping all those options open. Where is your brand stocked at the moment? We have a, a boutique in Accra. Okay. And then we have our own e-commerce platform. Then there are other... So in Lagos, we are stocked in Alara okay. and Temple Mute. We have two multi-brand stores in Lagos. And then online, Industry Africa in Paris. Um, it's called Moonlook. That stocks, you know, different African brands. But... Again, when we're talking about growth and scaling, we, we've come to that point where we need to widen and cast our nets even wider, open up our, our geographic market. 
And so now the, the conversations of um, stockists and wholesaling of the products have come in. Okay. But currently we do a lot of direct-to-consumer. Hmm. However, in the next year or two, and two, we're looking at just having stockists in different regions that can, you know, just push product, push hmm. more of and, and make Christy Brown more accessible because that's one of our biggest challenges now. People want it. You can't get enough. So we have a capacity issue right. that is such as of an issue because we are solving it. But it's a good so right problem now, to have. Them for, <laughs> for now. But yes, so we sell direct to consumer. So imagine that on your website you're selling out already. So then it's how much stock do you have left to even but that's I mean it's a good problem to have. We do have a good conversion rate, honestly. We are able to we have a viable product. I'm not well, to toot my own horn, I think Christy Brown understands what a, the woman wants, what the modern woman wants, and especially that modern African woman. Hmm. But we are really open to, like, but we also realize, even from the, the um, data we collect from our e-com, it's very interesting. The U.S., though, is a really big hmm. market for us. But it's interesting but I know that even Europe will be great for us as well. It's just we have to, I think, be more deliberate about our um, uh, marketing efforts or PR efforts in those regions. That's what it's about. But I realized that, oh, wow, the Christy Brown, in my head it was, she's African, she's more But now, no. When I see, like, Caucasians, well, and, and different parts of the world, Australia, you're getting orders from all over because we ship internet right. worldwide. So when like in japan i'm like really okay let's look at this let's look at this properly but that shows you the power of just e-commerce and and you know the potential yes, of that yeah. that's definitely that's that's time. fantastic yeah. so so i know that recently you did a, a virtual premiere of your um yes. fall collection congratulations yes, and, yes. and um i think you did yes. a virtual one for the summer collection as well without smack in the middle of COVID. I know. So that's what I wanted to ask. So how has COVID impacted your business and how have you creatively maneuvered in this period? When COVID hit, it shook us a bit. We were just the uncertainty of it all. We're looking at our 35 odd staff and like, what are we going to do? How are we locked down? We're not working. Nothing's open. How are we going to, you know, pay staff? But there's always a silver lining. It's always a silver hmm. lining. We realized like certain, certain potentials of the company that we never knew existed. We, we had to make face nose masks for government PPEs. Like it was a subcontract we got from somebody else. In the past, we probably never was like, oh, no, we don't do masks. Like we're a high fashion brand, a luxury brand, whatnot. But when, the, when it comes to the crunch, you do what you have to do to keep right. the business afloat and make sure that your people can feed their families. And what that did was, because like this nose mask order required just the other skills, right? That our people were maybe too highly skilled for, to even uh, down to even cutting off threads. So hiring people from the community, because the workshop is, is, is located in one of the poorer areas of Accra. It's called Koligono. And the fact that everyone was in this COVID slump, but... At Christy Brown, we were able to say that, okay, you come, just ironing, just even pressing those masks, it was a job. So we're paying people for it. And so it it brought a sense of 
even community and hope to people, right? And if, and we wow. even employed more people through that because we realized, that, oh, you know, you know, this this lady is quite good. So even after, like, you know, when the lockdown was lifted and so on, we still employed certain people to train and and, and you know be a part of the company. But yeah, so that showed us Great. that you know we are a lot more resilient than we thought. And also now because people were not coming, the shop was closed. We're not coming physically into the shop. We always used to think that, oh, Ghanaians don't really shop online, you know, e-com. Yeah, we did it. We usually had a few things, items on e-commerce, but it was never, you know, it was never our main channel. What we then did was we put everything on e-com. Every, all stock we had, we were just listed. Even if we had um, 20 of an item or even less, even if it was five, we still list, we still put it up on 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 our ecom platform and we're pleasantly surprised at just how the wow. growth potential of our ecom business and that's why um that's spring summer show which we showed virtually and had like 30,000 views mm. on now converted to sales on our e commerce so, so not just for the, that first collection, but anything we had online. And then there was Black Lives Matter, and there was a talk of just supporting Black-owned businesses. So it was the right. It was the timing was just right. But it, it again, that's the silver lining, right? We saw the potential of that arm of the business, and so we're, it's going to be one of our mm-hmm. major focuses now. Just that e-com business, the logistics around it, the setup, warehousing, where are you shipping from how to make it even cheaper to to shop, um, to ship out. And and we, mm. we also now understand that, yes, we might think going online on a computer and clicking on an item to buy is sometimes a bit off-putting for the African consumer, but there are other ways that she shops. She shops on WhatsApp even, even WhatsApp chats. Or how do we find the right channels and context to reach our, our clients or our audience? And, and COVID taught us that. Nobody's walking into your shop. <laughs> you have to find a creative way to get the product to hair. So I know that you're your mom. My wife is a mom of three. I know. So how do you balance it all? You know, growing this business and raising raising your kids and stuff. How do you balance it? I'm blessed to, to have a very supportive husband. I, maybe people say that all the time. It sounds a little cliche, but <laughs> honestly, with how much energy christy brown takes and and space if i didn't have a partner who understands and wanted me to succeed this much Mm -hmm. it'll probably it'll probably be a problem like it'll be an issue in our relationship but michael is very sometimes i feel like he wants christy brown to succeed even more than me even though that's not possible (laughs) (laughs) but he's it's almost like do what you have to do and he's an entrepreneur as well he's a he has a construction company a real estate company so that's also high pressure, but we make it work somehow. It's okay. I have to do this, but no worries. I've got the kids. Or you, you know, we 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 make it work somehow with our schedules. If he had to pick up one of the kids for one thing or the other because I couldn't be there, it's that's just how we maneuver this space. Hmm. And then we have we have the nanny hmm. to help us with three kids. Before I used to look at people who had like multiple nannies and say that, oh, how excessive. I know, I used to think, oh, what is too much? Till I, <laughs> I was on my third. I'm like, okay. We looked at each other like, Charlie, we, there's only so much we can do. 
And so just leaning on our, our community. When I say our community, we don't say it takes a village to raise right. a child. That thing, or not trying to be superwoman. And we won't always have fresh food on the table. Even if we have fresh food, it doesn't have to be mommy that cooked it or, you know, it doesn't have to be Aisha that cooked it. As far as we are well-fed, we are all healthy yeah. and happy. It allows us time to also bond as a family. When we get home, it's like, honestly, we, yeah, we have a good thing going. But I think it's that. It's that um, great partnership that my husband and I have. So we're able to create a safe space in the house where nobody's judging anyone. We are both, <laughs> we're both busy. We just have to find ways to make our schedules, like work schedules work and make sure that we also have time for the kids, especially on the weekends or even if it's after work. But, and, you know, just being present when we are present, yeah. I think is something that we do um, quite well. But it's that. It's, and again, like I said, get help if you need to. If we, we are blessed to be in this part of the world that you can have like, help and a driver and so on. So that's, it's not even a luxury, it's a, it's a necessity for us. Although I think all moms have that thing of when, when it's collection season and I've just been really neck deep at work, getting home later and so on, I do feel that like, oh, I'm neglecting them, but I, I, I make up for it. <laughs> you always have to. So my final question, Aisha, is, is what's next for you and what's next for Christy Brown? Personally... <laughs> <laughs> next for Aisha? Well, you know, I feel like we are entering such an exciting stage in the brand. Okay. And there's a lot happening. There's, we're going through not labor pains, but you know when there's a major shift happening in the company where we are, we've outgrown our old stage, to be honest. And we've seen where the potential of Christy Brown has been mapped out for us. We kind of see where it's going. Hmm. And I'm actually excited about like just our growth and scale-up plans the new like um, product extensions that are coming up, the new regions we are moving into. But with that also, I just, I realized that um, I'm probably going to go even more into myself and my role in the company. I've come to accept that I think I'm a great creative director. <laughs> but, but the thing is, do I have to be CEO of Christy Brown hmm. currently and in this next phase of Christy Brown? So it's just, those, um, you know, those ideas we are toying with, just with the structure of, of that. But I want to, personally for, for myself, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of personal development, hmm. okay, especially in leadership, because I, have, I also have other dreams. <laughs> I, I mean, I love what I do, but I have other dreams. And so I'm probably going to spend the next five years working on um, just my 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 growth in that leadership space and how to actually effect change hmm. but yes that's that's personally where where my headspace is at in the next five years thank you so much Aisha this has been so fantastic thank you that was Aisha Ayensu, founder and CEO Christy Brown Aisha has built a world-class fashion brand that is not only taking African fashion global, but is also creating jobs and empowering people. Thank you so much for listening. People have asked how they can support the show. Two things. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and write us a review. Those two things will help us greatly. All our episodes are available on our website, 
www.africanbusinessstories.com and also on all podcast platforms. I'm Akego Koye and you have been listening to African Business Stories.